I, I think Greg would say the same thing. Every time you, you study uh, end times prophecy, you're always coming up with new uh, things, more questions as you go through that, that need more answers. And so, um, and why that's particularly important to me is the first question that came to me from the book of Revelation was, where did I stand before a holy God? And, uh, and I tell you guys, I, I, was, I was, the first time I studied end times revelation was uh, the end times prophecy from the book of Revelation. I did not, I wasn't even saved. The Holy Ghost was not, was not dwelling in me. The conviction of the Holy Ghost came upon me from the reading of the book of Revelation in its entirety. Um, and so my, my personal testimony of salvation uh, really starts with an overview of the book of Revelation not nearly as succinct as what I just heard, you know, from Pastor Greg, um, but sitting around with a bunch of people who were, you know, doing this number, talking about AIDS being one of the plagues of the Bible, a lot of the same type of nonsense that we just covered, right? Um, you know, I'm like, wow, maybe AIDS is part of the book of Revelation. Maybe the end time, I couldn't, I didn't know who Jesus was, but I could tell something just wasn't right uh, with culture, with society, and most importantly, with myself. And when I came through the book of Revelation and I, I saw that the kings of the earth, the mighty men, were hiding from the wrath of Almighty God, I just was like, oh my goodness, I, I think right now, if this is to come to pass, uh, that's me. I have no covering. And it was just a few days later that, that I came to know the Lord as my Savior and trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. So my, I say all that to say, that just, to, uh, just to say what I've heard reiterated from uh, Pastor Jeff, uh, from uh, Pastor Mark, from Greg, we really want this to be something that is not just rightly divided, but rightly applied. And so as we go out of here, uh, understanding, as we say at Heartland, when we study the book of Revelation, um, you know, we need to understand who God is, right, in these last days. We need to know this. The time is nigh. Uh, we're about, we're going to talk about the rapture. Uh, it's upon us. It's near. Uh, the analogy of a pregnant woman is an awesome analogy. If you were here yesterday, if you weren't, we know what time it is. It's, it's getting, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know the times and the seasons. Okay, so we should be about the business of doing what it is God has saved us to do. And that's what the book of Revelation does. It reveals to us who Jesus Christ is, things that must shortly come to pass, of course. And, and, and that does, it should, right, change the manner of man or woman that we are. So if you have your Bibles, let's just bust in the Word. Let's go back to a familiar passage, re review what we had last night, and then I am going to have to just get going because we are on a clock. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the title of your notes is uh, Survey of Prophecy, the Rapture of the Church, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 is where we're going to start. Familiar passage. If you were not here last night, you should go back and listen to what Pastor Mark had to say concerning this, uh, this subject and this, pas this passage in particular. But I want to use this as a springboard, pray, and then we'll jump off of here. The Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, uh, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Heavenly Father, as we continue our study, I pray, God, that you would just teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us. Thank you for revealing yourself uh, to us, Lord, through your, your servant. Lord, I pray that as the book of Revelation uh, speaks to us, Lord, we are your servants, that we come out of here this week with a heart to serve you even more fervently, Lord. I pray, God, that there is a, a blessing today to the reading and the hearing and, and, Lord, the doing, the keeping of this book. We praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look into this passage now, we, and we have seen a few things last night about his sleep, we also see the day of the Lord mentioned in verse 15. And um, when we talk about the day of the Lord and the, and the rapture, uh, and we'll get to this here in just a minute, but I want to say that, that that includes both the first, uh, the, the, the catching away of the church and the second coming. Sometimes we separate those out because we separate the rapture, but the day of the Lord starts uh, with the catching away of the church. But the actual day when Jesus returns is obviously that day when he splits the Mount of Olives, and we'll be talking about that in succeeding sessions. But um, there's many today that push the rapture right on up into uh, the end of this chart, and we're, we're, our prayer uh, is to make sure that we're clear on that, that uh, the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church, occurs at the beginning of the uh, seven-year time of trouble, uh, Daniel's 70th week, the beginning of sorrows, and we'll lay all that out today. I'm going to have the trouble with all this. i got too big of a Bible here. These Are these out of style, right? These big old Bibles? I, like my, I love my wide margin Bible. So... The last, uh, the last event of the, of, uh, in your notes here that we're going to see, um, of course, uh, the, the last event of the 2,000-year church age and the first event of the end times prophetic calendar is, of course, the, the rapture. That's the time frame in which we're working with. Titus 2.13 calls it the blessed hope. Right, this is something we're looking forward to. The end of uh, this chapter here, here in verse uh, four, or chapter 4 tells us that we're to comfort one another uh, with these words. This should be a thing that we are looking forward to. It should be a, a thing of comfort. And of course, the people addressed are only those who have been born again. And that is very significant as we consider uh, the means of salvation and the teaching of the kingdom of God. Now, perhaps you haven't had a lot of teaching on the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, oh man, bro, Jesus is Lord. That's excellent. And so, uh, so, so I tell you, understanding these basic Bible doctrines are important, and we have a fellowship of like-minded churches that are all about teaching the Bible. And so if you are like, man, these terms and these phrases and these things are just flying at me, um, take your time, go through your discipleship process in your local church, go into the next level of discipleship too, take your time, learn the Word of God, because these things don't just come to you overnight. It takes some time process at least if you're like me like so i'm the slow guy and and i'm like the uh, you know the fast guy in the slow class i don't know i may be like the medium speed in the slow class but if you stick with it long enough and you just keep trodden over it meditating on it praying over it god will start to reveal to you really what how all these things fit together and it is important because it does affect uh the ministry that god has for you and so god's truth is dispensed the age of grace is concluded and God removes the indwelling Holy Ghost from the world. That is a really important aspect of the rapture of the church. When Jesus comes and catches us away, um, along with that goes the, the embodiment of the Holy Ghost in the church. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's something that, we did, not, that did not occur in the Old Testament. Until Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of God did not indwell 
the believer. And once the church is caught up and taken out of the way, uh, it gives room for the rise of Antichrist and his power to set up his political kingdom. And, of course, he has two bridles. The book of uh, Job speaks of Leviathan having two bridles. One is political, one is religious. And so we get, a lot, we get caught up in all of these things. And uh, this, this kingdom of the false Antichrist is going to come with the climax, the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, right, right in the middle. That's when he becomes, in essence, he says, I'm the Christ. I am God on earth. Right? He's going to be at his apex of religious and political power at that midpoint. And so Greg will get into that a little bit further as, and as well as I. But all of that need will happen after we are taken out. And the Holy Ghost uh, is, of course, with us in the kingdom of heaven. That is not to say, or the kingdom of God. That is not to say, however, that the Holy Ghost is not working. I just told you in my own testimony I believe with all my heart, before I was saved, the Holy Ghost was working in my life. You know what he was doing? Convicting me of sin. And he was bringing conviction to my heart. I just wasn't sealed. My soul wasn't sealed until the day of redemption, until I accepted Christ. And it may be that maybe you just wandered in this morning, and you're not a, a Christian, and you're wondering about all this end times prophecy stuff. Hey, I, I tell you what, what you really need to worry about right now is having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that's personal, that's eternal, that's sealed with his spirit while you can. Today is, the Bible says, a day of salvation. All right, so let's get into these blanks uh, because it's important that we keep moving. Number one, let's look at this word rapture, defining the word and the concept of rapture. Now, this is important to me because when I was a young Christian, um, I, I, I came to Bible study. We used to have these question-answer Bible studies, and they were awesome. And I remember going to a Bible study. It wasn't quite as intense as this, but it was more of a laid-back Bible study. And the whole night we talked about the rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. And, man, I was just soaking it up, going, what in the world? This is awesome. And then I went home. I took my notebook, you know, home, took all my notes, and I started going back over, pouring over it. And, of course, at the heading of my, of my title in my notebook was the rapture. Well, guess what? As I went through all my notes again, guess what I didn't find? The word, the rapture. Then I, and this is honest to God, I'm sitting there scratching my head going, am I in a, is this a cult? I mean, is this, <laughs> we just had a whole Bible study, and I listened to all of it, and I was all in, and I didn't even, and the word isn't even in my Bible. And of course, uh, we understand that that word uh, is, is not in our Bible in that sense, but the, it's, it's a word that is used in our Bible in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 in the Greek. And so it is uh, harpazo, at least that's the way, harpazo, that's how I pronounce it. And uh, it means to seize up with force, to snatch up, and the Latin translators use the word rapturo. And uh, of course, so it's not inappropriate for us to use the word rapture when we are speaking of the, the catching away, the carrying away of the church. So if you need a definition, write in your Bible. That's why I took you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to start with, because that is where you are caught up. And uh, that's what the, the Apostle Paul is wanting us to understand, is that uh, we will be caught up. There will be a catching away of the church. And so, um, and so it's important that we understand uh, that term so we don't misunderstand. Um, we don't misunderstand, you know, the integrity of what we're trying to say here. Now, point two, the catching away or the rapture of the church is likened to the, to the biblical harvest defined in Scripture. And this is important, too, as we... As we consider uh, the rapture, okay, let's talk about it in the context of a harvest. 
um, because there's some confusion on this as well. In your notes, I put a verse from Exodus 34 and verse uh, 22. It says, And thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, uh, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the feast of ingatherings at the year's end. Thrice in the year shall all your men and children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. And the nation of Israel, as many of you know, was set up on these feast cycles. They would appear uh, around these feast cycles, around the first fruits, the harvest, or the ingatherings, and, um, and the gleanings. And so the word harvest is found in each of the four Gospels. Revelation 14, 15 also includes that. And some people get shaky on that because you're like, wow, Revelation 14, we're all the way down here. So maybe that's where the harvest of the church is. Well, no, uh, the whole the harvest is a harvest. This, there's a first fruit, there's a, there's a in gatherings, there's the, and there's the gleanings, the ones at the very end. My wife grows zucchini, and uh, it's like all the vines were brown, the leaves were brown, and uh, I'm like, honey, you want me to, you know, it's time to like mow down the zucchini. It's been out there all year. She's like, yeah, we're done with it. So I go out there, and I'm going to like, and I before, I, before I tear into it, I tear the, the little fence around the garden down, and I go mow it flat, you know, get it all ready. I'm like, honey, I think you need to come out here and look at this before we get rid of the zucchini. And there's all these massive zucchinis out there. And that was what it was, was the gleanings. It was just, it was the leftovers, the very end of the harvest season. All of a sudden, there's these massive uh, zucchinis. I was really impressed, actually, because I didn't expect that. And so I thought, man, Lord, that's just getting me ready for this conference coming up. So God, in the harvest cycle, uh, has, has different times in which he is harvesting. He was taking up his people. And so we'll talk about that as we go forward. And so the word harvest uh, is associated with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse uh, 23. If you look in your Bible, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Of course, this, we don't have time to really get into the details of this chapter, but um, if you study your Bible much, you, you're going to know that this is the, the, the resurrection chapter. The resurrection chapter, and it's all about the resurrection. Uh, Mark did a great job last night of talking to us and teaching us about the resurrection. The Bible says here in verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to, uh, to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all uh, rule and authority and power. And so even in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, as the Apostle Paul's writing about our catching away, and if we went on to read this chapter, we would see that we are going to be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. Pastor Mark talked about that. It's, it's, it's recorded right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we will be changed. And the context is also of, of that of, of, a, uh, of a harvest cycle, right? There are those that are, um, that are going to be caught up and changed. And he, and he talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the, in the very context of our transformation, right? That what comes up out of the ground is going to be much different than... Uh, what we had on this side. So if you plant the seed, what comes up is much greater. So when we get changed, we're going to be in his image. First John chapter 3, we touched on it last night, right? Uh, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, that's also a unique uh, promise to the church for individuals to be the sons of God. That's also ties into this, uh, this uh, the reason that we are caught up together with the Lord. Our image is literally changed after the, after the resurrection, after the rapture, and uh, we are changed into his image, we're caught up to the third heaven, 
and we dwell with him as God turns his attention back to Israel and begins to deal with Israel, who's also, as a nation, counted as a son of God. And so the harvest of souls occurs in these three phases, just as the natural harvest of the field draws this, uh, and it draws a line uh, three times in history, in the history of man, to remove people from the earth in preparation for Christ's kingdom. So the first fruits uh, in the Old Testament are the Old Testament saints. They're harvested from Abraham's bosom, and several passages of Scripture are tied together to demonstrate the first fruits. Uh, and I'm not going to be able to get into all the details here, but in your notes, we've left that in there. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, uh, Jonah spent three days and three nights right in the heart of the earth. When Jesus died, he spent three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so, uh, in Acts chapter twenty, uh, in Acts chapter two and verse twenty-nine, the Bible records that the, the heart of the earth is referred to as hell, and his soul was not left in hell. So this is a general term, not to be confused with the. Obviously, hell itself, the place of fiery tor- tor- torment. So hell's a compartment. Jesus died, was buried, but all of God's wrath was put on him on the cross. He goes down and he delivers captivity captive. All the souls in the Old Testament saints were being held in Ab- what we call Abraham's bosom in that compartment that was called hell. We know a cross in Luke, si- in Luke 16, we know across the, the gulf, there was a gulf fixed there. Um, there was a fire, a place of fiery torment. And if we go back and read Luke, Luke 16, we see that uh, the rich man is over there and he's just begging for some water. And they can't cross over. Well, what's going on in Abraham's bosom? Well, all the saints are gathering there, but they're, they're in a holding tank. They're in a, they're in a holding pattern until what? Well, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, in Luke chapter 16 and verse 19, specifically in verse 26, we can see this, and, and there's this great gulf that divides Abraham's bosom. And so the gulf is, is the bottomless pit that we, meant, that we uh, will be speaking of in Revelation chapter 9. The place of, uh, of comfort was to hold those who were saved before, the, uh, before Christ until the perfect sacrifice was made at Calvary. So the uh, blood of the Old Testament sacrifices, it covered their sin, but it didn't eliminate their sin. And the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus being a better sacrifice. It's all about Jesus being a, a better high priest, a better everything, right? Because he is God. So when Jesus Christ was on the cross, uh, hell was brought to him. He suffered our hell on the cross. And this is really important, really important to considering the rapture of the church. Because when we start bringing the church into uh, the tribulation, now right now it's pretty popular, as Greg was saying, to say, well, this isn't the tribulation, this is the tribulation, and uh, this doesn't count. Um, and so let's just drag the church on up in here. But the reality is this, the wrath of God is being poured out on the world. Um, obviously, it's going to be poured out in, in great force with the vials, as uh, we'll get into later and as Greg's already touched on. Uh, but this whole time of tribulation, uh, is a, this whole time, I should say, is a time of tribulation. And so the wrath of God the promise of the blessed hope, the promise of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is to bring us comfort. Why? Well, not just that we can escape, right, and not pay our mortgage payment, but it's to give a little bit of credit, a lot of credit, to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What did Jesus Christ really do on the cross? While everybody was being held in, in state in Abraham's bosom that were Old Testament saints, well, he's dying on the cross for our sins. Hell was brought to him. He is our sacrifice. He is our propitiation. The wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath, was poured out on Jesus Christ. And so it's not just about 
oh, we get to escape the wrath to come. It's the fact that we have already escaped the wrath to come. Why? Because Jesus Christ has been sacrificed for our sin. The wrath that we deserve, there is not a one of us that doesn't deserve to be laid down underneath these vials and blown away with all the sinners of the earth. But yet we're not. Why? Because of Jesus Christ, our propitiation. He is our sacrifice for sin. And uh, I tell you what, guys, there is no way that he is, his sacrifice is not sufficient to cover our sin. And that's one of the reasons why he draws us up. Because I'm getting off notes here, but let me do that for just a moment. Because part of the reason he's coming back in his wrath is to execute justice and judgment against the kings of this earth, right? One of those principles will be the Antichrist himself and all the nations of the earth that have followed the whore, into the, uh, uh, whore of perdition into the end times. And so we're coming back. Uh, we go out as the bride, but let me tell you, we come back as an army. And so he is gathering his troops. Part of the reason that we have catch this catching away with the church and then the catching away at the end with the tribulation saints that we'll be speaking of later is because God is preparing troops for battle. There's a battle coming in Revelation chapter 19. And God's just wrath was put out, was put upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it was so important that those of us that, that have, uh, have uh, placed our faith in Christ today, uh, it's not just about us escaping God's wrath. It's about the reality um, that we are coming back to execute justice and judgment and bringing God's wrath. Because Jesus Christ has already taken our wrath upon him. And, uh, and so he's not going to put us in the tribulation period to experience it over again. That is not to say that we don't suffer tribulation, by the way, over here. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me fill in some blanks for you. In Matthew chapter 27, after his resurrection, many of the bodies of the saints which slept. And this is an important passage. They rose. I think I put it in your notes. The, the text says, and, and the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. This is not hyperbole. They literally arose. They came out of the graves and they arose. What's going on here? Well, this is the, the first fruits. By the time Paul wrote uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verses 1 through 4, that, that he had been caught up to heaven, right? In the body, out of the body, I don't know. But he was, in the, he was in heaven, and guess what he saw? In heaven was paradise. Paradise was caught up with the, at the, at the uh, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those Old Testament saints were the first fruits of the resurrection, and, and they ascended into uh, the third heaven along with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to that, that Jesus led captivity captive, and of course he gave gifts unto men. And so this was the beginning of the harvest. Abraham's bosom, uh, all those souls that were in Abraham's bosom were harvested at that time, and they ascended to heaven. So uh, for most of us, that's probably review, and if it's not review, uh, then that's something new you can go back and look at. And that begins, okay, that begins the harvest season. It's the first fruits. But if you know much about a harvest, right, when we think about a harvest, the bulk of souls come in the, in the, in the end gatherings in the middle, and then, of course, you have the gleanings at the end. And so the main harvest or end gatherings uh, will be the body of Christ, which will be harvested to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mark did a great job about talking about the bodies <coughs> last night. Uh, and how we are changed, and how it happens in the twinkling of an eye, First Corinthians chapter 15, as the trumpet blows, and, and we're, we ascend up, and it's so fast that you're not going to, it's just going to be within, a, I think he said uh, 11, one, 
one hundredth of a millisecond or something like that. It's just crazy. And so it's going to be really, really fast. But there's also, I've just recently had a discussion with somebody who's pretty seasoned in the Bible. And uh, I noticed as we discussed it, they were still struggling with this concept of, of you know, I read Revelation and I see Revelation 5, you know, and I see that there's souls standing before the throne and, and I, see, I, see, I see, you know, all of these things going on and I see Old Testament or I see tribulation saints that don't have bodies and yet they, and at the rapture, they, uh, at the catching away, uh, you know, they, these bodies come up out of the ground in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What's all that really about? I mean, why do we, why does God take the time to resurrect our old bones? What's that all about? And so, again, I believe the keys to that are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I don't have time to study that all out in detail, but just as, just as a word of note, as you study uh, end times prophecy and you study the purpose of the church and what happens to us as we go through the judgment seat of Christ and then prepare to return with the Lord Jesus Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're on a military mission. And so um, the Bible is very clear that there are, cel- in 1 Corinthians 15, there are celestial bodies, right, and there are terrestrial bodies there's celestial bodies there's terrestrial bodies when we get when we get caught up to heaven right uh, we're going to have a glorified body uh, but those that that, that uh, return which is going to be us if you're born again we're going to also have a body that can come down here just like jesus had as he ascended right and he then he said don't touch me then he comes back and he's fitted with the body where he's hanging out with his disciples he's eating meals with his disciples He's got, he says, hey, Thomas, stick your, your finger in my hand, put your, your fist in my side, and, and he's got this body that's able to hang with the disciples. And so it's a terrestrial body. It's a body that, uh, that he, he's fitted with. That Of course, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. But we're going to have a body that's able to come back and fulfill the prophecies of Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, there's prophecies about the second coming of Christ. In, in Revelation 19, as we return... And how we'll be thrust through and nothing will happen. We'll be climbing over walls. These are supernatural bodies. You need a new body. And if you're growing very old, you know that, right? The older I get, I'm like, man, I can't hardly make it through this life in this body. It's not enough, right? You need a new body. And so God fits you with a new body so that you can accomplish what he has for you in eternity. Uh, and he doesn't want you just to be in a spiritual body He's got, a, he's got a plan for us to rule and reign the millennium. We'll get to that as well as we go further in, the, in our study. So the body of Christ is harvested in two groups. Let me uh, speak to this. Those who are dead in Christ, and this is a little bit of review, so I'm going to kind of rush through this. And Those that have died physically and will be raised. Um, is it 1122 right now? So i got a half hour, is what you're telling me. Okay, that's all I need to know. Um, okay, so the body of Christ is harvested in two groups. Um, those who are dead in Christ, they died physically and will be raised according to First Thessalonians 4.16. And those who are alive physically, that will be taken off the earth. We covered that last night. And this is what I want to say about that. The rapture of the church um, is distinctly different from the gleanings at the end of the seven-year tribulation or Daniel's 70th week. So the first coming of Christ was marked by Jesus' birth and lasted 33 years until his ascension. And all of this is the first coming of Christ. Likewise, the rapture, the catching away of the church, marks the beginning of the second coming of Christ as he appears visibly to his church, but invisibly to the world in the catching away of the bride. So in Revelation 4.1, when that door opens, right, the church goes up, and it's removed from the book of Revelation. You don't see her again. 
And so God's attention is turned fully to Israel as that door opens. And in Revelation 19, 11, of course, we've already touched on it today, the church returns with Christ to establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. So in Revelation chapter 21 through 7, this, this harvest of the church will con- constitute the, the, soul, uh, the, uh, the saved souls from the first century through the moment of the rapture. And this will be a great ingathering of souls, which brings me to the gleanings. So the gleanings, the tribu- that's your s- point C there, the, the tribulation saints will be harvested in preparation for the second coming of Christ. And this is also called the post-trib rapture. Now, that can, might throw some of you off, depending on your, what you've been taught. So when, when Greg says uh, a post-trib, he's not saying it happens over in the millennium. He's saying after the tribulation of those days, when that commences, uh, there'll, be, there, there'll be a catching away. I think that's what you're saying, right? So, yeah, and so, uh, so he's not saying that he's in the millennium uh, somewhere uh, having a rapture. And so <coughs> um, the gleanings, of the, of the, tribula- the uh, gleanings, the tribulation saints will be harvested at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is also called that post-tribulation rapture. So the times immediately before the second advent of Jesus and after the Jewish tribulation uh, wit- have wit- witnesses have finished their testimony. And we haven't talked about the witnesses yet, but we'll get to that as well. Um, so the best uh, text is Revelation 11, chapter uh, 7 through 12. So just look with me in that real quick, because this is one of the raptures that is in, your, in, your new, in, your, in the book of Revelation that is not the church going up. Revelation chapter 11, this is the other rapture is what I should say, it's the gleanings. Revelation 11 in verse, in verse uh, 7. The Bible says here, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast <coughs> that ascended out of the, the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. He's going to think he's won. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street in the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. And, w- <coughs> and, they, uh, and they of the people and the kindreds and the tongues and the nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they shall dwell upon the earth, and, and they shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and they shall send gifts one to another, because the two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Truth is not going to be well received, by the way, in the, rap- in the uh, tribulation. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life of God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and fear fell on them which saw them. And notice this in verse 12. And they that heard, they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up, up to heaven uh, in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Okay, now when this happens, you'll notice in verse 13, Greg already mentioned this, is that, that great earthquake. One of those marks that Greg said, Ah, we see the second coming, right? We see, that, we see this lining up. What is going on here is he is catching them up, but it's different than our, than our catching away, right? This is it's slow. It's right in front of everybody. They see it, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a thumb in the nose of the Antichrist face and all those that are gathered to say, "Look, uh, this is this is me. This is my power, and you're not going to kill my witnesses, and you're not going to kill my saints." And so, it's also indicating that it's about to, it's about on, and it's about over for them. So he's going to come in his in his wrath and uh, and just wipe them out. So the cle- the gleaning rapture differs from the rapture of the church in some distinct ways. And I want to point this out. The time immediately before Jesus comes bodily to earth. So this is, this is right before the second coming of Christ. This, this happens, and it's very, well, it's slow. Slow enough 
for the enemies of God to see it. And it's also, um, it, it also requires diligence uh, to, to work, right? Because once we get into, and we'll look at this in a minute if I have time, once we get, once we get into the looking at Matthew chapter 24, and you get into the beginning of this time here, it's called uh, the beginning of sorrows, the means of salvation changes. In Matthew 24, 13, the Bible says that we must endure to the end to be saved. And, hey, that, is me- that, wha- that means what it says. You've got to endure to the end to be saved. If you take the mark of the beast, there's no free passes, right? Right now, you can grab the license plate and all that stuff, and, and if you want to use your RFID chip at work, then that's, a, that's your business. But, uh, but hey, once the, the church is taken out and you take the mark of the beast, uh, there is no grace. You're done, right? And you endure to the end. You starve. You do whatever it takes. And, uh, and especially once we get in the, the midway, uh, it's going to be hell on earth, uh, and uh, it's going to be a very difficult time. And so it's important that, that we understand that, that uh, these that are in the tribulation, they're, they're dying. As a matter of fact, I believe they'll be, their, their bodies will be sacrificed on the Temple Mount after the midway point. And those saints that are crying out to God, when are you going to revenge our wrath? Man, those are tribulation saints. And they're saying, God, when are you coming back? And I won't get into all the reasons why I think they're held, but I believe they're held until this rapture in Matthew chapter 11. And, he's, and they're just waiting for him to come and get them and revenge and avenge their death as the Antichrist, I believe, will do human sacrifices on the Temple Mount to make a show of his power and, uh, and also to put down anyone that would stand against him. But the uncertain, and that by the way, let me f- preface that. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Praise the Lord. I'm getting messages from heaven. It's really awesome. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland ain't got nothing on us. No. <laughs> I just found out I got a dispensation of grace, so I got an extra 20. So I was like, whoo, I'm sweating it. I think I can pull it in and th- with that, so I'll be good. All right, so uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, some of these things, like, like Greg says, I'll tell you, I do need to tell you, some of these details I'm filling in here are, are they, you know, that's what I think will happen as far as the Antichrist sacrificing people on the Temple Mount. I got all kinds of reasons, and I don't have time to give you all those right now. Uh, but I, if, if you say, well, Brian, I don't think that's going to happen, I'm not going to argue with you about it, because like Greg said, I'm not going to be here. I'll be watching it from the third heaven, getting ready to come back and, and uh, kick some booty with the Lord Jesus. So, uh, <coughs> but there's also uncertainty. Uh, again, we don't have time to get into all the passages, but I, I put them in your Bible. Matthew, or in your notes, in Matthew 20, I didn't put them in the Bible. God put them in the Bible. <laughs> I put them in your notes, and I stole a lot of them from Greg. So, uh, in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, Luke 17, Revelation 14, you're going to see a, a, a succession of verses there. And, um, and it deals with this rapture that's the gleanings rapture. And I, I need to touch on this today because uh, that's in this section of the tribulation. And it's dealing with tribulation saints. And it's, uh, it's important that we understand that because uh, today there's guys out there on the Internet, you know, and they're preaching a lot of sermons saying, you know, if you believe in dispensational theology, which we covered last year at Certainty, Man, you just got a lot of charts, and you, you've overcomplicated this, and it's really simple, and, and the word tribulation is only found in regarding this section, and so on and so forth, and, and, there's, and, and so basically that just, all of this, is kind of like preterism, all of this is, is just forget about it, and we're going to live all the way up 
to this point as the church? Well, I have some real issues with that. Number one, uh, Matthew 24, 13 is very clear. Right In the beginning of sorrows, before the abomination of desolation, the way the means and we've listed this on the bottom of your chart and this is really important the means of salvation right now is grace through faith in jesus christ right his finished work alone but in the midpoint after the rapture of the church the means changes enduring to the end refusing the mark and harboring Jew, jews jewish witnesses are the means right to demonstrate your your faith and to obtain the grace of god if you re- if you fail you will not be saved if you take the mark, you will not be saved. You, all of that changes after the catching away of the church. And so it's very important because, because what you see in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and when you look at the virgins, some are ready, some are not, uh, you see the conditions, right, for this catching away at the end of the tribulation. And so it's important to put that together. And so we need to have an understanding, and this is the, the really, let me boil this down as quick as I can, an understanding of the three raptures in the Bible because it clears up some confusion. And that's why we're here today, because there's a lot of confusion. We wanted, and I'm probably not clearing much of it up for you. I'm probably adding to it. But I hope we can give some framework to help us uh, put some structure around these things so we can understand it. When you throw some guy on the, on the Internet that actually claims to be dispensational but actually doesn't rightly divide the Word of God, uh, and, and here's you all freaked out about, uh, oh, man, we're gonna miss, there isn't a rapture. We're going to go through the tribulation like the Jews. That just makes that just makes no sense, no sense at all, uh, biblically. That is incongruent with the scripture. It's incongruent with the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's incongruent with your inheritance. What we inherit is completely different than what God is granting to the nation of Israel uh, in the tribulation and those that endure to the end. There is a difference uh, between the inheritance and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And I don't have time to get into all that right now. But uh, that is one of the primary things that will unwrap a lot of this bad teaching that's going around. Because uh, I've gone through it. I've ran it through all these scenarios myself. I've looked at all my charts. I've played with it all. And you know where I end up landing? Right back here. Right back here. Be- and you know, the primary reason is, is uh, not just the obvious uh, wor- verses that were given you, but also the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ, the inheritance, and what that finished work on the cross has actually provided the New Testament saint. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. So many prophecy teachers and Bible students uh, see the differences in these three raptures. But when they fail to rightly divide the word of truth, uh, like 2 Timothy uh, 2.15 tells us to, uh, they end up creating some confusion by trying to make all uh, rapture references apply to the rapture of the church. And that causes them to, to teach a lot of inaccuracies. And so there's the split rapture theory that, that teaches that there's only... Uh, um, only those that are looking for the rapture will go in to, uh, to heaven, and some Christians will be left behind at the rapture of the body, uh, <coughs> and the body of Christ will be divided. And uh, some of the old Baptist bride doctrine was like that. I remember having lunch with a pastor who believed that one time. Again, it was just simply not rightly dividing the word of truth and twisting scriptures in the book of Hebrews to make that happen. And so, uh, so that's a misunderstanding. Matthew 25.10 is where they often get the split rapture, uh, and they apply uh, what is supposed to be to the gleanings, or what is obviously accounted to the gleanings, to this harvest, the catching away of the church at the beginning of the uh, seven-year tribulation. There's also the theory that the church will go through uh, all or part of the tribulation. Greg touched on that. 
Um, there's a pre-trib rapture. That's the correct teaching. The church will be raptured, caught up before the tribulation. And the Bible is clear that God does not appoint us to wrath, but to, uh, but to obtain salvation through our Lord. And so, uh, and he gives us that promise that we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then in, in chapter 5 as well, he, uh, he goes on further and, and tells us that we're not appointed to wrath. And that is because the Lord Jesus Christ has already taken our wrath upon himself. Then there's the post-trib rapture. And some teach that the church will go through the entire tribulation period and will not be raptured until the end. And then there's the mid-trib position. Uh, and some will teach that they go through the first half of the tribulation. And then... Um, and that's really getting popular today, and they kind of split the difference. And so uh, they'll bring the church up to here and say, well, this is really the tribulation. And, uh, and they really, to do that, what you have to ignore is these seals and what's going on at the beginning of this time of tribulation. By the way, the Bible's careful to point out in Matthew chapter 24, this is the great tribulation, as it's, as it's noted up there. Uh, that, de- that denotes that this is still tribulation. Um, and so this is also Jacob's, a time of Jacob's troubles, Jacob's troubles dealing with Israel. The church is not the object uh, at that time because she's been taken out of the way. And so the Old Testament pictures and the references to the rapture of the harvest are incredible. And I've listed them out for you. I'm not going to have time to, to get into all of those. But you'll notice that, that Enoch is listed. Uh, he's the only person in the Old Testament who's a type of the rapture of the church. In Genesis 5, right, six men die before him and he's caught up picturing the 6,000 years in history, and uh, he's, he's calling out <coughs> evil in the world. If you go back and look at his sermon, man, he is about the business of preaching uh, on the way out, and that's what we should be doing, by the way, as we see the Lord's appearing. We ought to be preaching and, uh, and, and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ while we have time, because time is short. You also see Israel and the Red Sea crossing, and uh, notice that they go through that body of water. There's uh, some notes here, which are pretty heavy for maybe some of us, but uh, if you know much about the creation, uh, there is a crystal sea at the top of the, uh, at the third heaven, and it divides uh, the glory of God from the universe, else his glory would flood the universe and destroy us all, and so at the rapture, rapture the catching away, it's typified through Israel's escape uh, in, the, in the book of Exodus from Egypt, as they come out of the world, they go through the Red Sea, and of course we go through the blood of Christ, and we get caught up, and we go through uh, the crystal sea into the third heavens. That's pretty, pretty, pretty amazing type there. There's a lot to learn about that, so I don't want to blow your ears off, but uh, I'll let Greg answer all the questions on that one. So um, the presentation of the males in Israel is another one, uh, which is a, it typifies this. Um, and so uh, that was to occur three times a year at a certain feast, the Feast of Passover, Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we've already mentioned, of course, that the Israel functioned around those three feasts uh, but each one of those pictures then the harvest cycle, right? The, the first fruits, which is what we've talked about with the rapture or the catching away um, that came at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ is our Passover. And then the Feast of Weeks, uh, which is uh, pictured at Pentecost. It, it pictures the rapture of the church, which was initially called out and began on the first uh, Pentecost in, Abs- in Acts chapter 2. And then, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, right now, there's a lot of teaching and date setting around the Feast of Tabernacles and the shofar going off and everybody, again, Greg has warned us, date setting the rapture and they're saying, man, uh, whether it's the blood moons or um, uh, the, uh, the Orion lining up and all of the, uh, the uh, things that we just went through in September 23rd, um, it's not wise to set a date. All the way, Paul wasn't setting a date, right? So, so think about it. Paul was ready any time. That rapture is imminent. 
It could happen before I'm done talking. Hope it does. And so, uh, and so it's imminent. It can happen any time. So it doesn't have to. It will not. It could happen on the, on the feast of trumpets, but it doesn't, ha- or the tabernacles, but it doesn't have to. And so, um, all of those things do picture for us the gleanings of the rapture. Now, I will tell you this though: once we start the seven-year tribulation, um, it is going to work like clockwork on the feast on the feast cycle for Israel. And so, again, they'll know the times and the seasons. And uh, and it'll it'll come to pass just as the Lord said, and so and then in Song of Solomon Isaiah twenty six the calling out of the bride, the catching up is also a picture of the uh, catching away of the church. So those are some types for you. I'm not, I'm going to keep moving for time's sake, and um, and so uh, I want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter twenty four, and let me let me I hope what I've just covered is fairly I went fast. And let me just pull this down for you. This is really what I'm wanting you to see. As you turn to Matthew 24, when you talk about the resurrection, let's, let me put it in those terms. We're dealing with the rapture of the Old Testament saints, the bride of Christ at their catching away, the rapture of the church, and then the gleanings, the post-tribulation, meaning um, uh, after the tribulation of those days ceases and Jesus is about to come back, there'll be right before that time will be a catching away of the gleaning of the remnant of Israel of those faithful saints, and so, and then they'll return, uh, and then they'll turn right around and come back with us at the second coming, so it'll be an incredible time as uh, we go into the millennium, uh, and so uh, Matthew chapter 24, I told you to turn there, let me turn there so I can go along with you. I want to just take a moment and survey, uh, I'm going to start in Matthew 24, uh, but I'm going to talk to you about Daniel's 70th week. There's a lot of confusion and uh, a lot of false, you know, assumptions are made about the rapture because they're p- because people apply teaching that's to Israel uh, at Jesus' first coming, his first advent, when they are still waiting to restore the kingdom. If you look at Acts chapter one, the apostles themselves, after they're as Jesus is ascending, what's the question on their mind? You guys remember? When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what they're asking. They're focused on that. As a matter of fact, that's the historical context. Jesus is dealing with his disciples. In Matthew chapter 23, um, the, you know who's going into blindness are the Pharisees. Israel is blind. They're still blind. The book of Romans is very clear, Romans 9 through 11. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so Matthew tw- 24 is not the place to establish your church doctrine on the rapture. Uh, this is, God is dealing with, a lot of, uh, of, of clear teaching on this period between the catching away of the church and the, c- the return of the church, which, by the way, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, heaven opens, we go up. Revelation 19, 11, heaven opens and we come back down. We're not found in that time period. We're not found there at all. And so um, the time period that I want to look at now is, is that next three and a half years after the rapture of the church. What happens? And so God allows Israel to be deceived by the Antichrist. And in part, that's an answer. The reason that we have Matthew 24 is because Jesus has just had his last public address with the Pharisees. And you know what, you know what he's telling them? Woe unto you. Woe unto you. Ye blind guides, woe unto you. And he is coming down on them. Why? Because they would not receive him. And, uh, and so he starts letting them have it. And so after that discussion, we find in Matthew 24 and verse 1, And Jesus went out 
and departed from the temple, and he and his disciples uh, came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so they're all proud of the temple, and, and Jesus is like, well, this is, this is done. You know, he's already, he knows what's going to happen in, in 70 A.D. And in and, and verse 3, it says, And he, and he sat <coughs> upon the, the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and when shall uh, be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? By the way, they were already privy to this. And Jesus answered and, and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye uh, be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, notice verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and to kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity, uh, uh, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And notice verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, until the end shall be saved. And this is the gospel, the, uh, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And so he answers that question up, in, up through verse 14. And so um, I want to just speak to you about the, the characteristics, right, of this, this false kingdom and this false time of prosperity. In the book of Revelation, as you look through, look through it in, from the point of the seals, you see this white horse rider. Some imagine that to be um, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a false um, hermeneutic, right? It's a false representation of what that, that prince is that comes riding in, as uh, Greg pointed out, without arrows, right? That is actually the, the advent of the Antichrist. He comes in making a peace treaty. He doesn't come in full-blown saying, I'm God. He rolls in making uh, agreement. He uses the whore perdition uh, to gather that we know from Revelation chapter 17. He leverages his relationship with his false bride, which I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, Greg's pointed it out, has everything to do with Rome, has everything to do with the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, he uses his bride uh, to help him leverage the kings of this earth, the Gentile nations, so that he can be thrust into power, and that will be a political power initially. But, of course, he's married, right? And it eventually, he throws her to the dogs, Revelation chapter 17, and I may be getting into some of Greg's stuff here, but he throws her to the dogs, and, and uh, the next thing you know, uh, he just kicks his wife to the curb. Jesus died on the cross for his, his bride. And then he assumes, of course, the role of God. He is the Christ. Of course, we know he's the Antichrist. And so it takes, as Greg said, it takes three and a half years for him to transition from the political leader of the world to the Messiah, so to speak, of the world. And that will also come with some signs and lying wonders that, that uh, we'll get into later. But the reason I point all that out is because this is all prophesied before in the book of Daniel. And I, I put in your notes uh, uh, here that the tribulation is also referred to as Daniel's 70th week. The, I think the blank there is 70th. And so I think, how many of you have heard of that, 70th week? I've heard that term. I remember when I was a young Christian sitting around, and I'd hear this Daniel's 70th week business. And I'm like, wh what is it? Who, 
what does that got to do with the price of bread in Missouri, right? I don't know. And so it's really important, though, that you have a concept of what is going on uh, with Daniel's 70th week. Because even when Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, he is speaking of Daniel's uh, 70th week. And, uh, and the reason I know that is because as we continue to read into verse 15, let's start, just pick it up in verse 13 where we left off. But he that shall endure to the end, uh, the same shall be saved. That's, that's a part of the means of salvation after the catching away of the church and that beginning of sorrows, right? It's not the, the great tribulation, but yet it is a time when the Antichrist is in control. It's a time when uh, what some of these things line up with what you see with the seals and the covenant is established. Okay, so that's underway. And then he moves on to verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be uh, preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. That's a good question. Who's going to do that? Well, we'll talk about that tomorrow. And then shall the end come. So, circling back around. When ye, therefore, shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, he sober readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down and take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the, the field uh, return back and take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Now we'll circle back around and talk about the details of all of this. But what happens here is a very important climax. It's a time in the midst of the tribulation. And, and Jesus is pointing out that they should already know what verse 15 is speaking of. Daniel's, uh, Daniel the prophet had spoke of this time which he calls the abomination of desolation. And that refers us, and that points us back. It's a marker back to Daniel chapter 9. And there's a lot in Daniel that we don't have time to, to, to go through. It would be behoove us to have a whole study of Daniel to really understand what's going to happen in the tribulation because a lot of these events are in fulfillment of what's already been established with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And that's why a lot of guys get so off track because they, they really do not take into account what God is doing with Israel. And that harkens us back to our certainty conferences, going back to the, the covenant theology, the reform theology, uh, and then dispensations last year, which also touched on that. When you completely go to a covenant position and you completely erase all the lines of what it is to rightly divide the truth, and really, in essence, what are we doing? We are claiming the promises to Israel. And man, God does not look kindly upon that. And we're warned in, in Romans chapter 9 through 11, we're told that blindness in part has happened to Israel. God is not done with Israel. He's making, pro he's making promises in Daniel that we now, sitting on this side of history, can see have clearly come to pass through the kingdoms of this world, whether it be the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, right? The Romans are going to last all the way till the end. The Romans are part of this scenario that we're talking about here. It's all there for us to see. So how can we now, at the end, as we're finishing our race, forsake the word of God and say, oh, no, uh, we're the Israel of God, and it's all just salvation by grace through faith. And every dispensation, well, it is salvation by grace through faith, but there are different means, and you've got to be very clear on that. This time that we're in is an age of grace. All you must do to be saved is call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But after the rapture of the church, game over. It's no left behind series, and oh, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. No, if you take the mark of the beast, if, if you do not, if you do not, if you, uh, if you don't endure to the end, if you, uh, if you don't harbor Jews and help the, the, the 144,000, you're done. 
and the wrath of God abides upon you. If I worked with a guy who said, oh, Brian, I, I, I don't believe all that. I'm just going to, and he tried, he's, I'm going to stockpile my weapons. I'm going to get off the grid, and I'm just going to fight it out. So you know what that guy's saying? My means of salvation is me. It's me. It's not the finished work of Christ. And it's really, it's really kicking to the curb the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Today, for us, is the day of salvation. I'm getting a little off my notes. I'm not, I don't need to preach because I don't have time. So in Daniel chapter 9, and I'm not going to have time to read all this to you, but you got the notes in front of you. Go back and look it up. One of the things that you'll see in Daniel is this time frame um, uh, that, that God lays out of 70 weeks. 70 weeks are going to be determined. Uh, and then I've got to read the text to do justice to this, but I'm not going to tarry here. Uh, in the book of, of uh, Daniel, chapter 9, I'm going to go back and just read through this quickly. <coughs> Daniel's praying about, by the way, he's, he's himself in Babylon, and he's praying about, God, what are you going to do with my nation Israel? How are you, God, going to fulfill your promises to Israel, because God has made promises to Israel. We covered, by the way, Alan Silver did a great job last year of listing. There are covenants, and he listed them out. One of those is God is going to fulfill his covenant to Abraham and to his seed, Jacob. Right? Israel is going to get their promised land. They are going to get all the promises that God gave them on this earth. The meek will inherit the earth, and God will fulfill the, his government in, in Matthew chapter 5. So all of those things are going to be given to Israel. And, and Daniel's praying about the, the, what has already been revealed. How is this going to happen? And God gives him the answer. And as part of that answer, he gets even more revelation in Matthew chapter, or I mean Daniel chapter nine, and uh, and verse uh, twenty-four. Just a synopsis of of what where we get Daniel's seventieth week. The Bible says seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make recon, uh, reconciliation for the iniquity, uh, <coughs> and to bring in everlasting righteousness. And to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's also some debate about this, but I'm going to digress and keep moving. Uh, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself, and the people of the, of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Now this is the passage that, that Jesus is pointing his disciples back to. And then he says in verse 27, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, this is the same covenant Greg was talking about. There, it could be that we see this covenant, you know, formulating before the catching away. But before the ink dries, we'll be out of here. And this covenant um, is going to be a key part of Daniel's 70th week. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, if you're like me and you read that, you're like, oh, seven days, right? Okay, what's that got to do with anything? And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease for the overspreading of the abomination shall make desolate, even unto the consumption, and the determined shall be poured upon the desolate. 
Well, you need a lawyer to figure that out, right? No, you need the Holy Ghost. He is our lawyer, by the way. He's our advocate. And so he teaches us all things. Now, one of the things that's confusing is, is we go back and we read this. And I, and I know how it is. I've been there. I'm like, how in the world did those preachers come up with a seven-year period when it clearly says seven weeks? And what is all this 490 years and then one week left over and all of that? Well, so uh, to give you guys a little head start, in the back of my notes here, um, I put a chart with, the, with all the different weeks, and it's not uncommon. Uh, so that's not being made up. It's an Old Testament principle. And it just, uh, just quickly, you'll remember that, that Jacob served Laban for how many years? Seven years. It's called a week uh, in the Old Testament in Genesis 29, verses 27 through 28. So that concept of a seven-year period being called a week, it didn't just a, a appear, and it wasn't just made up in Daniel chapter 9. A week uh, being seven years is customary, always in the context of Daniel as well, in, in what's being revealed to him. Uh, but also, uh, it's, a, it's customary in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis chapter 29. So when you take 70 weeks times seven, of course, you come up with 490 years. Those 70 weeks are divided... Uh, up into to seven weeks, which is 49 years, 62 weeks, which is 434 years, and one week, uh, which is the seventh uh, week, the 70th week, I'm sorry, that we are mentioning here uh, in the tribulation period. And I say all of that to say this. All of those weeks have, have come to pass, but Daniel's 70th week. And so we know uh, that's the next thing on the timetable. Now, uh, when you, when you try to do all the math with a... Um, a regular Gregorian 365-day calendar, you are going to be all messed up. To get the numbers to come out right, you have to go with a 360-day uh, calendar, a lunar calendar like the nation of Israel used. And uh, when you've done that, you'll come up with the right uh, days based on that calendar. And what you're going to find is that the 70 weeks begin from the decree to restore the building uh, or to restore and build Jerusalem in Daniel 9.25, and they run until the death of Christ, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 26, before there's a break. So Daniel's 70th week separates, um, <coughs> Daniel's 70th week is separate from the other 69 weeks, and it's set in a future tribulation, and I put that in there on purpose, tribulation period. This entire period is a period of tribulation. This is the great tribulation. But if, if you buck the system, it's not going to be a cakewalk over here either if you decide you don't want to take the mark of the beast. And so, um, <coughs> and so, uh, the math to work out for the math to work out properly, uh, that would put with the uh, 483 years, you'd have to place the decree to build the temple in Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through eight, when Artaxerxes sent Nehemiah back to rebuild the walls of the temple. And uh, and so what what understandably adds confusion is the decree uh, to return to Jerusalem has happened several times before Nehemiah chapter two, verses one through eight, uh, in 445 B.C. It happened in 536 with Cyrus in 519. Uh, Darius uh, commanded him to go back, Artaxerxes in, in 458. But in 445, Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah back to build the walls in Jerusalem, and that clock began to tick. Now, I put a little chart in your, uh, in your, um, in your, in your notes so you can kind of see just a big overview of what that looks like. This is one of those things. That there's a fancy word there called the diaspora, and uh, that just means the dispersion of the nation of Israel. In 70 AD, uh, Jesus is referencing this in Matthew 24, the temple gets destroyed. At that point, um, God has put completely, the prophecies are on hold, and this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 is not going to be fulfilled until the church is taken out. 
So that prophecy given to Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, that Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 24, is still just in whole pattern. It's just waiting. Everything that's mentioned there in Daniel chapter 9 has already happened. The only thing we're waiting for, well, is for this age of grace to conclude, for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in. The book of Romans is clear about that. And then, at some point, we'll hear the trumpet, and we'll be caught up. We'll be out of here, and we'll be getting ready for war as we go through the judgment seat of Christ, as we, uh, as we prepare to uh, return at the second coming of the Lord uh, with our beloved. And so, uh, just as at the first coming of Christ, the Jews were looking for a kingdom. Right? That's, what the, that's even the disciples. They didn't, until Pentecost came and until uh, the Apostle Paul, the first century, and all the revelation that we now have in the New Testament that's revealed. Uh, uh, Greg did a great job of talking about how we are foretelling, right? We don't create anything new. We have everything God wants us to have. Until the canon of Scripture was completed, there was a season where, you know, the apostles had to go from, hey, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel in the book of uh, Acts, chapter 1? to uh, working through that the Gentiles can receive the Holy Ghost in, in Acts chapter 10 without doing anything other than calling upon the name of the Lord and hearing the gospel. And they had a transition. It was The book of Acts was a time of transition. And they took some time to, to process through all that. But by 70 A.D., when Titus comes in and destroys the temple, there was no possible way uh, for the prophecies of Revel- uh, for Dan- Daniel chapter 9 and the abomination of desolation to happen. Now, your preterists will say, oh, that's when it did happen. Right? That is the first half of the tribulation. Uh, and then they spiritualized, by the way, the last thousands of years, 1,500 years to the Reformation, and say, and they just monkey around and twist the whole, whole thing, and they make all of this an allegory and try to apply it to uh, and against uh, Rome, which I wouldn't have a problem with that. It's just not rightly dividing the word of God. Because we believe the Bible is literal. And we've also seen throughout history that it is, it, it is fulfilled very literally. And you make a great mistake not taking the Bible literally until you just can't anymore. And so even though there's imagery and there's things that we don't understand and we have to have described for us in the book of Revelation, when it comes to these timelines, the Holy Ghost is very clear. And God is very clear as he gives us the word of God that God is not done with Israel. And so of all the times in history for us to mess that up, it's this one. Because there was no nation of Israel. I could give a guy a break in 1600 as he's looking around and going, where's Israel? Maybe we are the Israel of God, and he's got a little, he's a little fuzzy on that, and he's struggling, and, uh, you know, he doesn't have a strong concordance yet, you know, he's trying to work all this thing out, you know, and, okay, I, I get that, I get, to, I kind of get that, but of all the times in history for us to all of a sudden forsake the reality, the clear teaching that God has actually got a plan for Israel, and he's going to establish his nation Israel, and give them their promises, going all the way back to, uh, to the Old Testament under Daniel's prophecies and, and the minor prophets, you got to be crazy. I mean, did we not see ma- what happened in 1948? Did we not see what happened in 1918? Did we not see Israel come out of nowhere and God grant them their property? And then in 1948, he established him as a nation. By the way, our very own Harry Truman struck out Palestine, wrote in Israel, even gave him their rightful name. And then for the last, you know, several years, we're waiting on that fig tree, right, for all that to come in. Do we forget that? I think some people have. I mean, God is working with Israel, and to all of a sudden screw that up and start claiming their promises, uh, y- y- you need to be careful with that because that's not going to please God. Anyway, i got to get back to my notes. So um, where am I at? 
the very bulk of the revelation. Okay, so we're, in re- we're talking about this, uh, this issue of, of uh, the dispersion of Israel. And so not only <coughs> the very reason that the bulk of Revelation from chapter 5 to chapter 19 and really chapter 20 for the most part is dealing with God's wrath is because he's dealing with Israel and he's dealing with the nations. And you throw the love of God out the window when you get to Revelation chapter 5 because it's a no-holds-barred bloodbath as the result of God's righteous anger being poured out on Israel on this earth. Now, of course, he has mercy to the, the tribulation saints, but man's heart is so hard and unwilling to repent and submit themselves to the righteousness of God that he is, very ju- he is super just to come back and, and establish his kingdom in his wrath and his force. And he'll do that. Paul addressed that in Romans chapter 11 because the question then rises, well, man, what's going to happen to Israel? But he's careful to say, hey, God deals with Israel, right? There's a remnant. There's always there's going to be a, a place for his elect, and they will survive, and they will thrive, and they will come back, though they're blind in part. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. But, but God has put Israel on hold until, until, this time, the catching away of the church, the rapture of the church. And you say, well, I thought you just said God's been working with Israel. Well, he has been. They're alive as a nation, 1948, right? 1968, right now, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu's the president. But they are not in a condition right now to worship. There's no temple on the mount, right? There will be. We know that because of the prophecies of Revelation. They're going to sort that out. There's going to be a peace agreement. Something's going to happen. There will be a temple mount. There will be sacrifices. There will be, again, a religious... Israel, there will be a priesthood, there will be 12 tribes, there'll be 144,000, and, and Greg will get into all of that. All that will happen, and it's coming. And so God is not done with them. Once he removes us from the earth, he's, his full attention is focused on fulfilling Daniel's 70th week. And so this season is exactly what Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 when he speaks of what we call Daniel's 70th week. So when you're filling the blanks, verse 24 God's focus is on the nation of Israel to fulfill human history. A week in the Bible is also defined as a period of seven years, and we've, we've talked about that. On page 51 of your notes, you can see a chart of that. Uh, there are six uh, items in verse 24 that Israel was to fulfill over the span of 490 years. The first three were fulfilled by Christ at Calvary. The last three were fulfilled by uh, him at his second coming. So the gap between is the church age. That's the gap that we call the age of grace. Uh, while Israel's been dispersed, God has been working to bring in the Gentiles without them. And so in verses uh, 25 and 26, from the captivity to the crucifixion, uh, the first seven weeks line up with the rebuilding under Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and uh, the next 62 weeks take us up to the Messiah, uh, the Prince, which is the direct reference to Jesus Christ and his triumphal entry in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in Luke 19.42. And that day has been historically documented to be the exact and very 483rd day right and so that's amazing from the decree of Artaxerxes the king of Persia which is the command to restore and build Jerusalem so um, Messiah was cut off but not for himself and that was at Calvary so verse 26b the Antichrist that's your fill in the blank attempts to destroy God's people and stop the plan of God and that is the that is the subject of the second half of the tribulation so the prince that shall come is the Antichrist we'll talk more about him as we go forward and that great uh, Middle East peace plan, that, that covenant uh, is point D, a seven-year treaty that allows the nation of Israel to 
rebuild the temple and re uh, reinstitute the sacrifices of the Old Testament, but it's a trap by the devil so he can break the covenant and, be de and declare himself as God. So the covenant is a peace plan authored by the Antichrist. And the Bible says he comes in peaceably and obtains the kingdom by flatteries in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 21. He's going to come in. That's why in Revelation chapter 6 and uh, verses 1 and 2, he comes in on a white horse. He comes in peacefully. And it, it's nothing uh, new. We see that all the time. Peace in the Middle East. Eventually they're going to have it, or they think. And it'll be a false covenant. So what about those who are, quote, left behind at the rapture? The basic response uh, to the rapture of the church um, is, you know, <coughs> first Second Thessalonians 2.11, God sends a strong delusion to those who have rejected Christ. Be very clear about this. There are people like my friend that I mentioned that's like, oh, I'm just going to hide out in the woods until, uh, until Jesus comes, right? I'm going to collect my, my guns and my... And I'm going to, you know, put enough meat in the freezer and I'll just, I'll just gut it out. You're a fool. You're not going to do that. Well, even if you do that, you're not going to make it. Why? Because Second Thessalonians is very clear that if you reject the love of the truth, you're damned. If you can't receive the, lo the, the love of the truth today, you're not going to make it in the tribulation. Today is the day of salvation. And so CNN will cover the event, right, for a few days. They'll explain it away, you know, UFOs, whatever. Uh, and uh, we'll be out of here, and the world will go on, and they'll think it's awesome. They will believe the lie, and the vast majority of the world will be happy. They'll be gone. They were out of here, and so will I. And so, who then can be saved? I'm glad you asked, because that's why we are not, uh, in, we are not in the beginning of sorrows, right? It's about our inheritance. The beginning of sorrows, <coughs> um, there will be, the mark of the beast will, will, will be enacted, as the kingdom is set up, uh, those things will be going forward. It's not per it is peaceful, like Greg says, but it's not perfectly peaceful because it's a false kingdom. And so it's a kind of a false Pax Romana. If you know much about world history, the Romans had a peace. And, and, and really, it's going to be condensed. All of that's going to be condensed. Just as you had the Roman, uh, the first uh, three centuries, you had the, the pagan Roman Empire transition into a holy Roman Empire. You'll see a, a somewhat of a pagan Roman leader transition into a holy Roman leader, but it'll all be compressed. And, and if you look back at history and see all the things that happen, in some measure that'll be repeated again. So the mark of the beast, uh, the, the means of salvation will change. People's names will be blotted out of the book of life. They will not be able to endure to the end. Um, and so no one will fall on his knees and trust Jesus as Savior like the Left Behind series. I'm sure they do that to you know, get people saved, but really don't be banking on that after the rapture of the church. Uh, because the means of salvation changes. And it doesn't change up here at the midpoint. It changes back here at the beginning of sorrows, which is pointed out for us in the book of Matthew chapter 24. And so um, the, uh, <coughs> in Second Thessalonians chapter 7 and verse 2, or verse 7 through 12, God sends strong delusion that they all might be damned who believe not the truth. Anyone who had a valid presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected him, I believe we'll be damned. And we've been going around at this at our church, a Bible study, and I know in the culture that we're in, that's hard for people to believe. I mean, they're like, are you saying, Brian, that, that people will be damned? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That, that, that puts the, the onus back on us, the church, to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. That's why we're studying the book of Revelation at length. If you can get down that this is about Israel and it's like hell and you don't want to be there and we get about preaching the gospel over here, then we're doing something. 
we're, get, we're getting some traction because we don't, if we really say we love God and we love people, we don't want to see anybody entering the tribulation. And you say, well, if I give them the gospel, then I'm damning them. Well, you know what? That's between them and God, but it's our job. It behooves us to do what we're supposed to be doing. Because partially, as every dispensation ends with a failure, so does ours. The church is blind. I don't think it's an accident, Matthew chapter 23, that the Pharisees are blind. They can't see what's going on. Jesus is right in front of them, and they're missing him. And beloved, we don't want to be blind. The only church that's blind in the Bible is the church of Laodicea. And you know what? Those, when Jesus was addressing blindness, you know what he was addressing? Hypocrisy. People that thought they had it all together, and at the end of the day, when it really come right down to it, they, wouldn't, they would not submit to the Messiah. And beloved, as we get ready to get taken out of, the, out of here, we need to keep that in mind. Because we don't want to get so caught up in our security. And, and man, Pastor Greg just hit the nail on the head. Getting out of our credit cards, getting out of our, our issues, and that is so self-centered. When Jesus Christ has died on the cross and put us here so that we could escape the wrath to come, why are, we, why are we free from death? So that we can bring life to others. We are here to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so if we don't, uh, there will be some who won't get saved. And there will be some uh, that will hear it and reject it. And when they, when they do that, and if they don't get saved today, they will be damned. And they will believe a lie. And there won't be a second chance. And those people will take the mark of the beast They'll fall right right in line with the Antichrist system, and uh, it'll be full speed ahead. And uh, and so we want to make sure that we get the gospel where it needs to go on time. For your notes, I'm on point three. The false kingdom of Antichrist uh, (coughs) uh, is important that we look at that. Go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and Greg's going to take this a little further tomorrow, so I'm not going to go too far with this. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. kind of been skipping over this it's a lot of information so you guys will have to go back and read your notes and and uh, hopefully we can have some QA time later this week the Bible says in verse 3 let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition uh, the false kingdom of Antichrist is going to be accompanied with a great falling away. So God withdraws his hands. Man has desired this since the Garden of Eden when Adam hid, hid from God. And God gives man over to his own lusts and the false gods. <coughs> Unlike any time in history, a man will demonstrate his, de- his depravity. And we're already seeing what happens in this country, right? As we turn away from God, the depravity that, that comes with that. In Revelation 7, 1, the Bible talks about how the winds will cease on the entire earth for a brief period and that may or may, may not be the actual uh, physical phenomenon, but it probably is. And that, that is because there's, there's certainly a picture of a spiritual truth, right? Because in John chapter uh, 3, we know that the wind, Jesus tells Nicodemus, the Holy Ghost is like the wind. And when the church is taken off of the, out of here, uh, there's a lack, right, of the Holy Ghost that's indwelling the believers. We are salt and light. And when we're taken up, it's going to have a dramatic impact on this world. The world's going to think it's great. But it won't take long for things to erode rapidly. And so uh, it'll be an incredible thing. So God's spirit no longer strives with man, Genesis 6-3, during this time. So religious apostasy uh, will blanket the world. Satan will use the opportunity to deceive man. uh, (coughs) And and the double bridle of Satan, the political and religious system that's laid out for us in the first seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, 
uh, will be set forth. So as you read Revelation chapter 2, as we're still talking about the churches, God gives us all the keys to see this because this book of Revelation, it's given to the church. It's given to us to understand what's going to come to pass. It's given to us so we don't uh, mess up the lines. And we're given in the seed plant of all the things that Satan's doing. He has a synagogue. He has a seat. And, and that comes forth in full bore once the church is taken out. And we see the things that he's been planning for centuries since the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the mysteries were being revealed in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, it's manifest that, that we are the bride of Christ. Well, it doesn't take long for Satan to catch up, and he takes pagan Rome, and he converts her into, into the Holy Roman Empire in, in the 3rd century. And, and all of those things start to develop, and those seeds are all with us and planted in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. So after the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4, you see the fruition of Satan's seat. You see Satan come on as this peace-loving world leader, right? He rises out of the nations of the earth, just like everybody's looking for right now. And you know what? He's going to deceive the whole world. And before it's over, that seed in that synagogue of Satan that's tied directly into the prophecies of Daniel, those ten toes going all the way down, to the time the anti to the time Christ actually destroys uh, the Roman ki- kingdom, all of that, uh, that's all going to come to pass, just like the Bible prophesied very literally, as the Antichrist takes on that the person of Christ and is the very antithesis of Christ in the in the Antichrist and takes on that authority falsely, and Greg will get into that and his authority and his power and it's going to be a terrible time on this earth. Peace and prosperity will lull the world to sleep. Because it's a false kingdom. It's not true. And the mark of the beast will lighten the grip of the, and the, and the seal and will seal the fate of lost men. So there are many speculators about the mark of the beast. What is it? But we've already talked about the technology. It's already there. And the rapture is, is to bring comfort. <coughs> from the, it's to bring comfort to us. Because there will be no comfort in the tribulation. This peace period is just going to be a, a mirage, and before you know it, it's going to be a terrible. It's going to be a terrible time, and so um, I'm going to wrap this up here because I'm out of time in three minutes or less. And as I as I kind of conclude this time, I, I just want to mention this too. Um, the days are short. The days are short, and as, as Greg said, if we, and I know I've just went, went over a ton of information, and I've only gotten through half of Matthew 24, because it only, up to the point that I read, it was dealing with the first half, up to the abomination of desolations, and we come back tomorrow, I'll pick it up right here, and we'll finish that up, and we'll continue through this great tribulation, and, and look at this, uh, and the fulfillment of Daniel's 70th week, but I encourage you guys to just uh, consider how great a salvation that we really have. I mean, how simple it is to just simply call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has purchased our pardon. It's faith in his shed blood. It's an amazing thing that the wrath of God was placed on him. It's an amazing thing that that we have this incredible time in history where we have this great promise that our souls are sealed to the day of redemption, that the Holy Ghost indwells us, uh, and that we we have God's power, we have God's mind, we are God's church. Uh, we need to maximize uh, the opportunities that we have and run this race and finish our course. So uh, come back tonight. Uh, Mark is going to continue. Tonight, man, is going to be awesome. 
And you want to make sure, listen, you want to make sure that you're ready for the rapture. And if you're wondering, well, why do you say that? Because uh, you're going to come tonight and you're going to find out. The things that we're talking about really just need to be preparing our hearts to do what it is that we know we're already to be doing. And that is getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. So with that, uh, Jeff, I'll turn it over to you. And I think that'll take care of this session here.